is episode 17 of Not Another Teen Wolf podcast, and we have finally reached the end of all Teen Wolf currently in existence, though very soon we will be getting some fresh Teen Wolf to uh, keep us alive. But we've finished our recap of the first two seasons. This is, the, this is going to be the episode recap of Master Plan, episode 212. Uh, which is the finale of season two, and next season, obviously, we're going to have a full 24-episode season, but for now, this is the the end of Teen Wolf, so the, the leaving point of what currently canonically exists, and so, you know, we're here to talk about that. As usual, it's it's me and Karen, your hosts, to talk about it, but for this finale, we have brought on an extra friend, a third person, someone who is a regular on podcast that both Karen and I do separately. It's Jen Lamoureux. Hi, Jen. Hello. Do you want to um, say what you do or where you are besides from uh, here with us today? Yes. Um, on Hypable, I run the book section on Hypable, and Karen helps out quite frequently because books are just massive. Um, I also do Who Hype, Onceable, and Book Hype. So that's where you can find me on Hypable. And how are you today, Karen? Oh, I'm very good. We're recording earlier than usual, so I'm I'm wide awake. <laughs> it's early for me as well. We've had our uh, daylight savings ch- time change. So you guys had yours. You went to summertime a few weeks ago, and we've just come off summertime yesterday. Like so, there was there was like a couple of weeks where the time difference between us changed by an extra hour, and now it's changed by an extra two hours. So. It's much earlier for me as well. I can never keep it straight. Like, I just, I don't know. I'm just going to have to Google it every time I want to know yeah, what time it is in Australia. Def- there's definitely a, uh, a website for that. So, uh, But anyway, so, yeah, as we said, we have episode master plan, which is the big finale of season two where everything happens. So we're going to, again, try a method in which we hope to do our episodes when we're reviewing one episode at a time when the live episodes start airing live episodes like I'm you know like they're gonna film it and it's gonna stream to us live as they're filming (laughs) god uh when the new episodes start airing and that'll be going through the episode chronologically as opposed to just picking out a few points and discussing what we thought of each scene or, or what points we had about certain events as they come up in the story we're going to do our favourite quotes first, as usual, uh, though I'm sure we'll remember more dialogue and quotes throughout the course of the episode. As a brief recap for Master Plan, with a shocking death on the lacrosse field, Scott and his friends team up with an unlikely ally in order to figure out Gerard's master plan, while Derek plots to take him down using his own methods. Styles helps Lydia in her attempt to save Jackson. So that's a very basic recap of what happens in this episode. But what were your favourite quotes from it? Uh, Karen or Jen, do you want to go first? Who wants to go first? Let's let our guest go first. Sure. Okay, so my favourite quotes, there were two really funny ones. There's so much funny dialogue in here, I always have trouble just picking two. But one of them is when Derek and Peter are talking, and he's like, he's turning into that, that has wings. (laughs) And there's like lines with Peter as well afterwards, and he's like, oh look, they've animated it. (laughs) And... Then he slams the computer shut. He's like, not better, not better. <laughs> so I thought that was really funny. And then the other one that I really liked was from Styles, and it's at the very end of the episode. And he's like, oh, well, 
The 10-year plan for making Lydia fall in love with me may have to stretch to 15, but the plan is definitely still in motion. (laughs) And that's just, it kind of like sums up who Styles is, and I just, I love it. I thought it was great. I really liked that bit as well, especially the the bit with Peter and uh, and Derek. I love that Derek's like, he's turning into that, that has wings, and Peter just kind of goes, I can see that. And they're just... I just love that. I would watch like a buddy comedy about them just being (laughs) like slightly grating on each other, you know, about like who got the wrong type of milk. Like I would watch that all day. It would be so funny and amazing. I love Peter so much. And this is the best Peter episode. Like he's so good. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of Peter, um, my first line is about him. And this is when Isaac... Scott, Derek, and Peter are in the locker room, and, you know, Peter kind of comes out of the shadows, and Isaac's like, who's he? And Scott just says, that's Peter, he's Derek's uncle. A little while ago, he tried to kill us all, and we set him on fire, then Derek slashed his throat. And then Peter just says, hi. (laughs) And it was just, and you can just see the look on Isaac's face when he's like, oh. And he's like, no, it's so good. Yeah, and that was actually, Karen, you typed that in first because that was definitely one of mine. And then when I looked, I was like, oh, Karen already got it. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. that is definitely one of the cl- like the classic scene because Peter's just like, yeah, and? Like, he's so deadpan about it all. You're like, oh, man, you're killing me. Yeah, and then my second one <laughs> was between Scott and his mom. They're in the morgue and Jackson's all kind of gelled up in his venom and then he like twitches and then Scott says, uh, mom, can you zip it up please? And you can see her like going, wait, really? It's like when a kid calls in their parent to kill a really big spider and the parent doesn't really want to, you know, go near the spider but they know they have to because they're the adult. That's the sort of feeling that I got from it. Yeah, and it, was it totally is. So and, he, and he's like, yeah, and she's like, really? You're a creature of the night, and you're making me do this? And um, yeah. and then it keeps twitching, and it gets near his face, and she's like, I don't want to. And she, he's like, Mom, zip! And it's like, come on, Scott, you are so... It's just, it's really representative of, like, how much... I was thinking this as I was, as I was watching the episode, actually. I was like, this show is about werewolves. But I often forget that Scott is a werewolf, if you know what I mean. Not forget, but, like, I don't register it, like, that often. Like, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, Derek's a werewolf and and all of that. I often kind of forget that Scott is a werewolf, uh, that he's, like, one of them and that he has the powers as well and that he is part of all of that, that he's not just some, like, sort of hanger-on because of things like this, I guess, like, things like he he acts so normally and Derek... uh, and co-acts so abnormally. I think the reason I forget is because I feel like sometimes he forgets, if that makes sense, that he, like here, doesn't always register that he is a werewolf. Like, he just still feels like a kid, if you know what I mean, except for the times when it's actually, you know, overwhelming and messing around with his life. And obviously this is in the middle of when it's messing around with his life, but his first instinct is still, Mom, help me, kind of thing, and it's really... Yeah, it's cute, but it's ridiculous. Yeah, I feel the exact same way, actually. And I think it's because he's still very much a child, you know? I mean, he's only, like, 16, so he's pretty young still. And I think he still relies on his mom a lot, and that's why, you know, there are scenes like this. But also, like you were saying, in comparison to someone like Derek, with Derek, it 
the werewolfness dominates his world. It's it's all he's ever known. It's all he's ever lived in. And yet with Scott, this is all still pretty new to him. I mean, it's only been a few months, really. And he still has, you know, girls to deal with in high school and homework and lacrosse practice. So I forget, too, that he's a werewolf sometimes because he's still very normal compared to someone like Derek, who mm. who lives at very much as a werewolf. Yeah, yeah, totally. My favorite, the first one was actually right early on in that episode. After the lacrosse game and everyone clears out, Scott rips the locker door off Stars' locker and gets out his clothes and tells Isaac they're going to track him down. And Isaac's all kind of going along with it and he hands Isaac the shoe and, and Isaac kind of looks at him and he goes, how come you get his shirt and I get his shoe? And it just, for some reason, I just found this hilarious. I think just because it was a moment of like, again, like, ridiculous, not even like totally overt humour but like really natural teenage complaining in a moment of like very grave seriousness if you know what I mean and it it just made me feel like it was another aspect of the show that keeps it as realistic as possible like people's reactions and behaviours you know are as realistic as possible given the unrealistic circumstances if that makes sense the other moment I really liked was actually a pretty serious one of Chris Argent's. It's actually when he comes and speaks to Erica and Boyd in the basement and is kind of giving them this pretty speech about different aspects of the electricity that his family's researched that, that can make the, the body stop morphing or stop healing. And he's kind of talking about that kind of thing makes me wonder where the line is between the natural and supernatural. Like maybe it is all just a form of nature. And he says... When lines like that blur, you sometimes find yourself surprised by which side you end up on. I really liked that, not just for him, like, not just in his realisation. And and I like, like, I did like the realisation and, you know, the comparison he was making, like, that if they've figured out this process, you know, maybe it is all just part of nature. But also the overall idea of that statement, because I think it's a really good comparison for Teen Wolf in general and for nearly every character like we've had so many characters where we're like are they good are they bad like you know there's kind of bad people on good sides like the side that's meant to be good and and good people on the bad side and we don't really know which side it would objectively be the good or bad side and I just really liked that as kind of a representation of the different characters in different places on the show. Alright, so we're going to get into our discussion now, and like Natalie said, we're going to do this chronologically. So it starts off with the scene where Jackson is dead, and Melissa, Scott's mom, ends up wanting to follow him to the hospital, to the morgue. You know, she wants to get into the ambulance, and I really thought that this was really interesting because Melissa's sort of immersing herself in Scott's world now, and she's very keen to keep an eye on Jackson and considering in you know the last episode she really didn't feel that way I mean she kind of came to that conclusion near the end but it was a long time coming it took the course of the episode so I thought it was really interesting how she wanted to help yeah I think that it was I was quite like surprised by how curious she was and how you know investigatory she was I guess that she was actually pursuing it and you know, it, it is quite impressive, and and I like that she was kind of, you know, she was still obviously struggling with it, but whether it's curiosity or just her worry about Scott, 
you know, and everything that's going on got the best of her. And, uh, yeah, I did like that she was getting involved. I almost wonder if she decided to get involved because she knew clearly that something was going on at the end of the last episode and it was bad. And she says, if you can do something, do it. And so, and I also wonder though, if, if it has to do with the fact that because she now knows her son is something completely different. And I think she suspected there was something up with Jackson. So she went because what if it had been Scott? What if there was something she needed to do or to be able to know and understand because it had been Scott. So she may have been kind of filling in that motherly role just for a different person. Yeah, because his parents wouldn't know anything about it, obviously. So then the next scene is just a pretty short one here where Styles is sort of shoved down the flight of stairs and he ends up discovering Boyd and Erica strung up in the basement. And for this scene, like when I first watched it and even when I'm rewatching it, I'm just like, no, don't hurt Styles. It's so hard to you know, see him get kidnapped and then throw down the stairs like that, and you're just... I always just feel so protective of him. Yeah, I can't remember if in that scene he knows where he is or anything like that, but, yeah, Erica and Boyd don't look too pleased to see him. Like, not, not like, angry to see him, but they look quite, quite concerned about him as well. I mean, they're concerned about everything. They're strung up with electricity, so... You know. Well, the one thing in that scene that I was confused about, or maybe it's the one that comes right after that, is why didn't he just take the duct tape off their mouth? Why did he try to touch the wires? Oh, that's a good point. Because normally when you don't know where you are, but, oh, look, I have these two people who I know and they're strung up and their mouths are covered. Wouldn't you go for the duct tape first, especially when they're clearly trying to talk to you? Yeah, that's true. I, I found that just a tad bit odd. Yeah, and concerning, like, if he knew where he was or not, I hadn't actually thought of that, but they walked him right through the house, and we know that he's in the basement. Oh, he wasn't blindfolded or anything, yeah, he must have known where he was, yeah. Yeah, which is pretty interesting, like, just to think about, you know, if he knew it was specifically Gerard, or if he knew that it was Allison's father, or something like that, because just another hunter walked him down there, it Mm. wasn't like it was Gerard from the beginning. Yeah. Although, considering that they do know Gerard is in control of the Canama, he probably figured that's who was behind it. Hmm. So then speaking of Styles getting kidnapped, we sort of pan back to the locker room and nobody knows where he is. And, and the sheriff is sort of, um, not sort of, he's very upset. He doesn't really know what to do and he's just trying to figure it out. And before everybody leaves, we have Coach come up to Isaac and Scott. And there's just a really nice scene here where I, I honestly think that this is the first first time we've gotten a very serious sort of melancholy coach i mean usually he's angry and yelling and you laugh at pretty much every absurd thing that comes out of his mouth but this was sort of a touching scene from him yeah it was he yeah because he comes up and he's like he he's sort of gruff on on the exterior and it's like i need you to get your grades up i and i like and he's like i need you on the team and and like he kind of says it in a way that it's got takes it very seriously and he's like I will like it uh, like because obviously he's upset about you know Jackson dying like he's and it's you know it seems to be obviously um, more than just about lacrosse and it just I really did like that they took that moment to sort of humanize him like that because he is really funny and and ridiculous but like the fact that he would come up and say like I know I yell at you guys but like I don't hate you guys and 
you know, I care about you and I'm upset that my other captain has just died, you know, presumably. And uh, he's like, you know, I need you to be okay. Like, to Scott kind of thing. And and it is this real moment of humanising him that I, I really liked that they took the time to do, especially in an episode that's so packed with other stuff. I agree. I thought it was a really nice moment to have. And it's just important because it shows that the coach just isn't this big screaming kind of box of a person where he just says the same things and is really goofy. Mm. And it was, it was really effective, I think for a lot of different reasons. Yeah. And it just shows that the show is like, you know, that they have the capacity to do that, that everyone is a, a valid character that has, you know, could have a a really strong story at some point. Yeah, definitely. And then once everyone does leave, we get Scott and Isaac and we sort of touched on this before when we were doing our quotes because they're going to be finding styles by scent and just kind of what you were going off of before, Natalie, when you were talking about the whole shirt and shoe scene, um, this made me really excited for more Isaac in the next season yeah. because I think his personality and his sort of like dry humor like we yeah. see here is just going to really add to the show. And I cannot wait for Scott and Isaac to just bro it out. Like, mm-hmm. I'm really excited to see their relationship. Yeah, I really am starting to love them. Like, as I said, the first... The first watch through I ever did of the show, I wasn't too keen on Isaac. I was like, even after he kind of got nice, I was like, mm. but now, like after watching it a few times, I really like Isaac. Like, I, I, and I, I think his humor is great. Like, I think it came across really nasty when it was super ego werewolf Isaac. But now that he's chilled out a bit, it, the humor is still there and is like much more likable, and I really like it. Jen, what do you think about the three new werewolves that sort of came up this season, Boyd, Erica, and Isaac? Do you like or dislike any of them? Um, I think Isaac was, like, my favorite. Even though he was kind of a jerk, I felt like he had the most to offer to the storyline with what he was doing, especially towards the end of the season. Because you can see him wavering. And when you when he goes to seek out Scott for, like, advice and information and saying he wants to be like him, that just kind of shows this big turning point in his character, which I thought was really, really good. I mean, the others were, were okay. I You know, I don't have a lot of yay or nay towards either one of them. I didn't overwhelmingly like Erica just because there wasn't much that was redeeming about her after she kind of became a werewolf and all of those things started happening like there wasn't a lot that redeemed her as a character whereas I feel Isaac like you said does make a change he he kind of shifts where he's going and in in how and who he's going to be as a werewolf whereas Erica is just kind of nasty and then she decides she's gonna leave anyway that she doesn't want to stick around so I think you know that kind of just negates her to me like I just I didn't like her as a character so much yeah and then after that Peter shows up and you know we get that little scene there and what really stuck out for me here was in our last episode we were sort of wondering if Jackson had killed himself to save his friends or if it had been Gerard and here Peter specifically says you know if Jackson is dead Gerard wanted it to happen so I thought that was really interesting and I just sort of wonder if still was this a way to make everybody sort of miss the fact that Styles was being taken or if it had if it was to get Jackson out of the way because he was worried about the Canama maybe being too much to handle or if if he was just done with him and it was time to discard him I don't know I I still don't really think that question was answered whether yeah whether Jackson was consciously 
trying to kill himself to, you know, as I said, to protect the others, or if it was Gerard actively making him do it, and what whether it was because of Styles or whether it was just to get rid of Jackson. So I really still don't know the answer to that, even after watching the episode. Do you think that... Gerard knew that if he killed himself, he would regenerate into something bigger and badder. But his first, like, it's like shedding your initial skin. He Part of him had to die first in order to regenerate into something larger. Um, Is that why he had him kill himself and then used it as a distraction? I'm not sure that he knew that. I mean, he could have known that. I, I don't know if, if he knew that. I'm trying to think what his reaction was. He seemed pretty chill with him once he got him back, you know, at the warehouse and yeah. stuff like that. So maybe he did know that, yeah. Because at some point Peter says they're not the only ones that have records. and Yeah. So it's kind of like they all, when they like looked it up, they should have all had the same information. Yeah, that's true. If they had records that the Canima morphed into something bigger with wings, yeah, perhaps the Argents knew as well. Yeah, he did seem pretty fine with Jackson being alive again after, you know, he thought he was dead. So perhaps he did know, yeah. Yeah, especially since Gerard does tend to know quite a bit. You know, he's he's a little bit more worldly than somebody like Derek is. He's got a few years on Derek, so I wouldn't be surprised at all if he knew more than what Derek or even Peter knew. Mm. So speaking of Gerard, he's, you know, we find out in the next scene that he's actually the one that kidnaps Styles, and he basically just beats the crap out of him. And this scene was kind of funny in the fact that Styles was like, oh, what are you, 90? You know, I could probably kick your ass. But then Gerard just starts wailing on him, and, you know, we see his face later, and, and he's pretty beat up. Mm. I found it quite interesting, like, yeah, he, he obviously goes and tries to help Erica and Boyd, and then he sort of, again, like, much like in the episode with Matt, like, he can't stop himself from, like, talking back even, like, you know, he feels like, well, if I'm, you know, if this is going to happen to me, then I'm not just going to, you know, cry and, and beg for mercy. But it sort of, when Gerard starts beating him, it sort of cuts away to that angle, like, through the stairway, like, and like a full, full full body shot through the stairway and it just reminded me really of like almost of like a a horror movie kind of angle like not uh not like a crappy horror movie like a, a an actual really um like gruesome like gore kind of movie that that angle of sort of watching that violent act like from that that cutaway I don't know it just really reminded me of that kind of cinematography like and it made it feel really like raw and horrible yeah and then later on we see Allison and Gerard in her bedroom and they're getting along pretty well lately I mean we saw that in the last episode when she calls him grandpa and you know he sort of tells her oh make sure you get a good night's sleep because things are going to be going down and you need to be at your peak and Allison you know still has this major attitude problem with her father and Chris realizes that they're doing what Gerard wants them to do. And I thought this was really interesting because, and I don't know if this was necessarily for the first time, but he definitely realizes here that Gerard is just manipulating all of them. Yeah, I mean, Allison is just horrid, really, now. Like, and it's it still, I think, is not coming across well. Like, it's not coming across as a natural change into, like, a super bitch. It still seems really, like, like a real affectation and, like, it doesn't sit right. But she's so horrid. And Chris is just, 
He just wears like the whole the whole episode, he wears the same expression of, like, crushed puppy on his face, if you know what I mean. Like, he's just like, I'm just doing it, sorry, I was just doing it with my face now. He, like, he's got his, <laughs> his crinkly eyebrows and his, like, open-mouthed sort of despair frown. The whole episode of just, he's just so horrified by what's going on in his life. It's, it's very sad. I really have a hard time with this version of Allison, especially because she's been manipulated so badly by Gerard. And we as an audience see it, but she as a character has no idea. And so I just want to kind of shake her and be like, you have no idea how horribly you're being manipulated and what you're turning into because of that manipulation. So that really bothers me about her character right now is that she's allowed herself to just be 100% manipulated by her grandfather who initially she didn't really have time for and didn't believe in. Yeah, I find it so bizarre that he tr- like she's just like, oh yeah, I trust you now. Like, I find that insane. Like, I don't understand why she is so on his side and it's been like, oh yeah, this is right, this is what we do. And, it, and is, I, I can't wait, is it all because of her mother? Like, I don't... That's. I mean, I think we can trace it back to that. I mean, there's a lot of loss. There was Kate, then there was her mother, and I think once the loss starts to pile up, and you know Derek's handed to her on a silver platter so it's kind of hard to ignore that and then like Gerard is constantly feeding that fire and that anger in her Mm. so I mean it makes sense that she wants to believe him because she wants a place to put her anger she wants something or someone to answer for all of this loss in her life it's just yeah it just seems very bizarre to me I mean I, I guess I can't really imagine the perspective but I don't know why that she's, like, even trusting him over her father. Like, I get that, like, if she, if he was her family and all, you know, and he, she was seeing all this and, oh, this is what we do and it's for this reasons and this stuff started happening. But I would still be listening, I, I still think she should be listening to her dad over Gerard, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I feel so bad for Chris in this episode because he lost his wife and now he's basically losing his daughter. I mean, she's not dying or anything, but they were very close at one point, closer than she was with her mother, I think. And I mean, and he's not close to, to Gerard, so he's basically has nobody right now. And I can just see how difficult that is for him. Like you said, just on his face the whole episode, he just really struggles with that. I think what he also struggles with, though, is that he knows Gerard is manipulating them. And he knows that Gerard is using Allison and her anger. Like, you can tell, because over the, especially this episode, you can see how drastic she's become and and changed. And he knows that that is a direct result of Gerard's influence. So I think he's starting to suspect that Gerard is up to something. And it's really, really not good. And that Allison is a tool in whatever Gerard's plan is. After this scene, we see Styles coming home, and the sheriff's on the phone at first, and he's just like, you know, whoever he's talking to, he just says, if you hear anything, please let me know, and he sort of closes the phone, and he's like, Styles, where are you? And Styles is like, I'm right here, Dad. And you can just see how furious the sheriff is when he sees Styles' face. And, of course, you know, he's very happy to see his son, but he's 
pissed. And Styles just says, you know, it's fine. And he lies about who did it to him. He said it was some guys from the lacrosse team that were, you know, mad at him because he was running his mouth. And I found this really interesting because he's still protecting his father. And I can understand why he's doing it because obviously he doesn't want to tell him who it was and get him mixed up in the whole werewolf business. But even when Styles is very vulnerable, he's just been beaten up. He's still looking out for his dad. Yeah, I mean, that's what I first thought. I was like, wow, that lie just, like, came out, like, breathing. Like, it was just, like, you know, he thought up a really good story that was plausible, like, kids from the other team that were pissed that Styles had beaten them and was mouthing off. And it's just, oh, like, living like that, like, not out of, and not out of being a nasty, you know, compulsive liar, like, living like that, you know, having to lie like that, even when you're singing your dad like that and and it's for his sake it's just yeah it's so sad like I just I was so weepy through like all of Styles' scenes from now till the end of the episode if you know what I mean like everything with his dad (laughs) everything with Lydia I was just like crying at all of Styles so yeah it was it was not good Yeah, this episode was really hard to get through in a lot of different instances. Maybe because I knew that it was the finale and I knew that this was sort of, you know, the last episode we were going to be talking about on the podcast before we get to season three. And I was just feeling all nostalgic and stuff. (laughs) And yeah, I was kind of weepy, too. So then uh, we get to one of my favorite scenes, which is where Melissa checks in on Jackson. And we see that he's covered in some sort of weird gel and I guess this is his venom and I just was sort of curious about what its purpose was is this supposed to be like preserving him or something like that? I think it's like a cocoon or it's like a different type of, I think it's like baking him. Baking him? (laughs) I think so, I think so, I think it's like stewing him into like the, you know, the other Kanema or, you know, re-healing his body or something but I like how Melissa's kind of like, are we going to do this? Yeah, we can do this kind of thing. Like in when she's like going there by herself. I love that. It's making him into the Kanama butterfly then? Yeah! <laughs> he's it, in a cocoon. Exactly. It, it has wings. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think the episode title's going to end up being the Kanama butterfly. Oh, God. <laughs> um, anyway. I do, I do think that was kind of what it was. And it's just interesting how quickly Melissa also kind of is integrated in the sense that she's like, call Scott and is like, I think you need to see this. And it's all, she's not, she hasn't even really stopped to ask, like, who are you? What is this? You're a werewolf. What's a canema? Like, she's just kind of like, she comes in halfway through, but like literally just picks up the ball and runs with it. Kind of like in, you know, there's a concern. This is a concern let's go kind of thing. Yeah, and I'm really interested to see what Scott's relationship with his mother is going to be like next season, considering that she does know all of this stuff and that she did just sort of pick up the ball and run with it. Mm. And I think part of the reason why she did that is because she didn't have a chance to stop and question it, Mm. you know, once she kind of came to terms with it. And it's just like, okay, you know, she knows the stakes and she just has to do what she can to help her son. Yeah. 
I think it'll be interesting to see if she gets more involved in kind of the researching and detective-y aspects of it. Do you know what I mean? Like, Peter's involved with the research, and he's got all of this, and we all know Peter kind of has a crush on Scott's mom. Mm -hmm. So if (laughs) she becomes more involved, so you have kind of two adults now that are thoroughly in the know about what is going on, clearly because one of them is a werewolf, but, like, you would have her as the other adult kind of involved in the situation a little bit more. Mm. So it'd be interesting to see if she takes up that role or not. I'd be curious to know what she's going to think once she realizes that Peter was basically just going out with her to threaten Scott. I wonder if that's ever going to come up. I I probably wouldn't want to be Peter then. No, I also also think Peter was completely honest in that, you know, he said, when he said to Scott, you know, oh... You know, I, I've been in a coma for six years. Who wouldn't want to have dinner with a beautiful... I think he legit was into it, as well as threatening Scott. So I would like to see him try and, like, flirt with her and be like, I actually want to go out with you, like, kind of thing. So that would be fun for me. Yeah, and he kind of made mention of that in in this episode. He was like, his mom's smoking or something yeah, like that. There was, he, like, a throwaway he, line about it. He was something like, oh, yeah... You know, she's doing something to get near his mom, and, and Peter's like, "Yeah, right. Have 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 you seen Scott ma- Scott's mom? She's gorgeous." And Scott and Derek both whip around, and they're like, "Shut up!" Like Scott, because you know, can't say that about my mom, and Derek because he was like eyes on the prize, Peter. And it was just, I That's loved true. that moment. Speaking of the butterfly canama or the canama butterfly, whichever way we're saying that, <laughs> I was sort of wondering if we're ever going to see it, and I'm not just talking about next season because obviously, you know, well, first of all, Jackson's not going to be there. And also the fact that Jackson is no longer a Canima. And obviously they had this sort of plot line and the end of this episode was either going to end in two ways, with Jackson's death or with Jackson turning into a werewolf. And they elected to go with the werewolf. So I just don't know what the point of bringing up the fact that the Canima could turn into this alpha form if they weren't going to explore it eventually. Yeah, I mean, it was bigger, like, at the end. Like, it was bigger and its face was kind of more heavy. It did not, if you compared that to the Canima in the first ep- episode, like the Canima first appearance, it looks totally different. Uh, maybe they just didn't have the, maybe it was meant to have wings, maybe this is the alpha form and maybe the wings are like a myth, or maybe... They couldn't afford to animate it, but they wanted to leave the funny line of pictures. I don't know. But I don't know if we'll ever have a Canima plot line again, like if it'll be something that'll come up. Yeah, I think it would be a little repetitive, but at the same time, I'm still really curious about it, so I would like to learn more. Karen just wants to see it animated with the wings. That's what it is. I she do. wants to see I how do. scary it is. <laughs> oh, dear. So in the next scene, we get Lydia going over to Styles' house after Jackson dies. And I really liked this scene, not just for the dialogue and what passes between the two of them, but the fact that Lydia went over to Styles' house. I mean, this is a person she didn't even know existed a year previously. And now he's sort of really the only person that can comfort her. Because if you think about it, I mean, Jackson's gone. And then Allison's crazy. And Scott, she was never really all that close to and he's obviously Mm. off doing his own thing styles is really the only one that's there for her right now and i really love the fact that she went over to his house to talk to him because she was so upset about jackson dying 
Yeah, like literally that's the only person that she has at that time and that, you know, the only person in the loop about, even though she doesn't know everything, but she knows Styles knows. And it was, he, he looks very shocked. I mean, he looks very surprised. I really like this scene, especially because I just really enjoy Lydia and Styles' interactions together. I think they're really cool. And Styles is always so awkward and just so uncomfortable and nervous around her. And he doesn't really know what to do with himself. And she's always just, it depends on what day it is for her as to how she's going to treat him. But in this particular scene, it was really kind of heartbreaking because she's going to him for comfort because of Jackson. And yet there's a moment between them when she's like, why do you have girls jewelry? And he's like, oh, uh, yeah, I I bought that for your birthday. And she's like, all of this? Mm. And, like, she's just kind of, like, taken aback by what he feels for her, in a sense, or, or that he thought enough to try and get things that she would like. And so I think that that was a moment that we haven't really seen before and that she hasn't really come to realize what he feels for her and the yeah. way he feels it. It's not just this random infatuation. Yeah. Like, he truly cares about her. And so I think that this scene in particular highlighted that, even though she kind of gets offended by the end of it in a, in a sense. But I think it was a really good scene to highlight that. Yeah, because, you know, up to this point, it's possible that she just thought he was kind of like, oh, dumb pleb at school. Everyone has a crush on me. I'm the most prettiest popular girl in school. But, like, seeing all of that, and especially after what happened with her birthday party and, like, no one really still being her friend. And he did show up to her birthday party with a present, so he clearly bought a lot of options to try and give to her. Yeah, it was... She did seem... She took it very well. Like, she she was kind of like... She must have known how difficult the situation was that, like, she didn't love him and that she was there because she was in love with Jackson and upset, but she knew or was realising how much Styles cared about her, and she handled it very well, and this is still carrying on from the last episode. I mean, it's the same night, but this it's this Lydia that's very different to how she's been before, like very soft and very not putting on any kind of falseness or anything like that, and it's, it's yeah, quite sad, but nice. Yeah. I also like the, the speech he kind of gives her about if she dies, and if she does, it, you know, it's not her death, it's everyone else's, that they have to live with it and they have to survive it. And I thought that was really just kind of gut-wrenching to hear him say that about how it would affect him. And I think that's probably the part where she started to get, like, nervous. Because to have someone be so passionate about you in a speech about your death and all of that stuff, it's a little overwhelming. And I think yeah. that kind of took her significantly by surprise and that was kind of her tipping point because then she was kind of like I don't know how to process that I don't even know how to begin to like understand what that means for you yeah or for me at that point because I mean I don't know if anyone's really felt that way about her I mean Jackson clearly has some sort of feeling for her but I think what Styles feels for her is a completely different level in a completely different manner for different reasons even so I think that was a really interesting way to kind of conclude that scene Yeah, I really, that scene as well about her, you're the one that, you're not the one that dies, you're the one that kind of survives and everything like that, and also saying, if you die, I'll go out of my freaking mind and all of that. On one hand, what you mentioned, like, it's such a blatant, like, honest, people don't say that kind of thing to each other, like, 
especially if they're not in an established relationship where they're like, we know we have feelings for each other. People don't say those kind of things. And he says it with no expectation. He's so honest about it. It's not like, oh, it's a secret. She's my secret love. He's so honest and raw and blatant about it without any expectation of, like, return. It's not like, I feel this so you owe me or something. Like, he just kind of almost out of his own control, says this about her. And she is very taken aback by the intensity. But it also interested me, he said something like, you're the one that survives, you're not the one that dies, and everyone will not cope with your death. And I'm going, who's everyone? Like, you're talking like it's this big important thing that she survives. When, I mean, are you just talking in general because you assume that everyone thinks she's as awesome as you think she is? Or is this some sort of weird foreshadowing about her importance? Yeah, I get that too. That's a good question. I think Lydia is incredibly important. There's clearly something about her that kind of tames the savage beasts, if you will. You know what I mean? Like, there's something about her that's very special. And it's really funny because I kind of watched season one and season two all together. I randomly watched it on Netflix one weekend and that was my entire weekend because I couldn't stop <laughs> watching it once I started. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, honestly, like, that's what happened. And we were like, Natalie, you and I were recording, like, Who Hype or something. I'm like, oh, I just started Teen Whiffer. Like, oh, my God. I'm like, yeah, I kind of can't stop watching it now. Um, but, like, Lydia's evolution in throughout the whole series mm. is fascinating to me. And I, I know Lydia can be obnoxious and she can be the mean girl. But there's something about her that I just love. Like, she, I don't know, she's fantastic. So we've watched her evolve throughout the entire two seasons, and there's something very special about her, clearly, that affects the creatures around her, too. So it's really interesting to see kind of where that will go next and what her effect is, if she has some sort of, like, name to her power, or if she's just this human who is special in a way. So, I don't know, I'm just really curious about her character, and I really enjoy her character. Yeah, yeah, I think that she's unusual, because even if she's, like, a, you know, a bitch or mean or whatever, it's it's an unusual take on that kind of popular girl trope, in that it's covering up something very different to what those girls are usually like on, you know, television shows. She's very unusual, and, yeah, it's just something about the way that he said what he said about she's the one who survives really makes me wonder about and also the way that he is kind of very taken aback by what he said himself it makes me wonder if something was going on there like if it was some sort of I don't know like some psychic not not like a psychic moment but it could be I don't know like who knows but something more than just him assuming that everyone thinks she's as awesome as he thinks she is if you know what I mean yeah I get you I couldn't listen to that speech without thinking about Styles' mother, and I sort of felt like he was talking about them at the same time. Like, he knew what that feeling was because he had gone through it before, and that he lost this woman that was very important to him, his mother, that he had a very solid connection with. And then here's this other girl that he's had a crush on for forever, like, what, the third grade, I think he said? And the idea of losing yet another important girl in his life, I think, would have driven him out of his mind. And so that speech was doubly hard for me because I I kept thinking about his mom and how sad he must be still about losing her. Yeah, 
I mean, maybe he transferred that attachment to... Maybe his mother died in the third grade. Like, maybe his attachment to Lydia came from... Because, I mean, I don't know what's normal age for, like, kids to get crushes on, on boys or girls. Like, if... You know, if, especially boys. Like, I know girls get crushes. You know, I, I remember all through my schooling that, you know, oh, I have a crush on this boy or whatever. Right from very young, like, six or seven. But... I don't know if boys have the same thing, but maybe he transferred his sort of emotional attachment. Like his mother died and he started liking Lydia in the aftermath of that. But yeah, just the phrasing of like, death doesn't happen to you. That is such a strong statement that I'm like, what does that mean? Like, I wonder if it's in reference to his mom's death though, because I actually, I have the quote right here. And he says, you don't care about getting hurt, but do you know how I'll feel? I'll be devastated. And if you die, I will literally go out of my freaking mind. You see, death doesn't happen to you, Lydia. It happens to everyone around you, okay? To all the people left standing at your funeral, trying to figure out how they're going to live the rest of their lives now without you in it. Okay, so that's more like he's not saying death, you know, Lydia's the only one that that... He's saying if if someone dies, it doesn't happen to them. It doesn't happen to them. It happens happens to everyone everyone around them. them. Yeah, okay. Right. I love that. And then, that's amazing. Number one, yeah, that's it's amazing. Gorgeous writing, first but, of all. Gorgeous writing. Like, that's, yeah. that is amazing. And the other thing he says at the very end of that whole speech is like, come on, you actually think this was meant for me? And he points at his face. Yeah. He's comparing that to like, this wasn't done to hurt me. It was done to hurt the people that would see it or whatever. So what do you think was achieved by Styles' kidnapping, though? Like, in, in reference to that end of that quote, do you... Gerard kidnapped Styles. It didn't really seem to serve any purpose except It's that... a distraction. Is that it? It's, like, a, it's a distraction from Jackson. Is that, like, is that literally it? Because, yeah, Scott and Isaac don't even really go looking for him once Peter and Derek show up and, and say that. They, no one really goes looking for him except the police. Right, but I'm thinking that that wasn't Gerard's master plan. Gerard's yeah. master plan was to use it as a distraction, and he didn't know it wasn't going to work because... Oh. You know, Melissa was going to follow the cocoon Jackson and be like, uh, guys. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I don't think he planned on that part. Mm. I think he felt he had scared Melissa enough that she wasn't going to get involved. Okay. Yeah, I definitely think that it's a distraction, but I think there's a couple other levels there, too, in that it's a message to Scott, like, you know, look what I can do to your best friend. You better stay out of the way. And also, I think it's sort of intimidation to Styles because Gerard knows how intelligent Styles is. He knows that he's wrapped up in this whole business, too. And Styles was obviously very shaken up after it happened and once he got home and he was ignoring those texts from Scott and all that. And so I think in a way it sort of maybe didn't serve its purpose as a distraction, but it definitely served its purpose to keeping Styles at home. And if Lydia hadn't been there, I don't think he would have gone after Scott to help him. Uh, like taking him out of the game. Right, yep. So he's just trying to make him weak. I like that. I think mm. I see how that would play into it too. Mm. So this is just a random question to get out of all the morbid stuff, but <laughs> what do we do we know what was in the big box that Styles gave Lydia? Do we have any idea? No, because it was like a big square, so it wasn't the TV because it was it was actually wider than the the TV. So I don't know what his final present was, like the one that he actually showed up with and didn't return. But whatever it was, it was bigger than a flat screen TV. <laughs> I really want to know. Say, was now. it just a larger size flat screen <laughs> TV? He decided to go for a super size. <laughs> 
Maybe it was a pony. <laughs> or a dog. Well, yeah. she already has a dog, I guess. Or, like, but... <laughs> one of those giant teddy bears that's, like, the size of your bed, like the ones we saw at FAO Schwartz. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I don't know. It was insane, whatever it was. <laughs> In the next scene, we see Scott and Isaac trying to sneak Jackson out of the hospital. And that's sort of the whole scene. And it goes back and forth between them and Chris. And Chris is sort of you know, talking to Boyd and Erica, and we talked a little bit about this before, and he ends up letting Boyd and Erica go. This was really interesting to me because he knows what's going on. He knows that Gerard's up to something. He knows Gerard is manipulating all of them. And I sort of have to wonder if this is the first time that he's really going against his father's orders because he doesn't take stepping over that line lightly. He sort of pauses when he goes to the machine that's controlling the electricity, and we don't know if he's going to turn it off or turn it up. Mm. And it just really makes me wonder if he obviously takes a while to think about what he's doing. And so I think that he hasn't gone against his father like this before. Yeah, I think that's probably quite possible. Yeah, he he seems to have really gotten to a point where he's very conflicted. But it seems also like he's never really been that keen on his father. Like, so how long he's been going along with it and not approving of it. Or if it's changed that drastically since Kate died. Or if he just wasn't aware of how bad Gerard was before. I think this is, might be like one of the, like after his wife's death and how adamant his father was about that. And then how manipulative he was after that point. Yeah. I think... It's made him realize that sometimes the enemy isn't on the outside. It comes from within and within your own family. And I think he's slowly realizing that Gerard's motives are are bad and that there's something wrong and it's affecting now his daughter. He's lost all of the other women in his life, his sister, his wife, and he doesn't want to lose his daughter too. So in order to protect her, he's making a choice. And if that choice means going against his father and his father's wishes, then he's going to do that because Scott's never really done anything bad. You know what I mean? Like, yes, they have their dislike for Derek for very specific reasons, but the rest of them haven't really done anything. And it's hard for him, I think, to reconcile his father's behavior and what he's seeing against what he's seen from Scott and the others. So I think that's kind of where he's having the most difficulty deciding. And then that's why he chooses once he sees Gerard and Allison together and how horribly Gerard is affecting her. That's when he makes his choice. My other question is how... If Gerard is this bad, and he, I mean, yes, Chris is obviously, you know, being affected by it worse now, and you don't know how long Chris and Gerard have been separated for. I mean, you know, Alison hadn't seen Gerard since she was a baby, so, you know, we're saying, like, maybe he hasn't seen his father for 15 years or something like that. But Chris, and what you're saying about Scott as well, about them getting him not hating Scott, like, you know, he doesn't really like werewolves, but he, you know, knows Scott hasn't done anything wrong. Where did Chris get his ethics for the code so strongly if Gerard apparently never had them, if you know what I mean? If he knows that Gerard made Kate this crazy, you know, where did Chris come to his moral compass from if it's not what he was actually taught by his family and and this is even though he got the hunting from his family well i'm wondering if maybe gerard only more recently kind of went off the deep end when he realized he had cancer possibly yeah and so that way chris grew up with a code but when he started to see it shift, say, 15 years ago, mm. he stopped being around Gerard because he could tell that things were, were changing and he didn't want his family to be completely a part of that. 
so he moved away. Do you see what I mean? Like, that kind of would make sense, that the older Gerard got the little, you know, the more crazy he got about things. Yeah, that's true. I'm wondering how that ties into Kate, though, because he says later that she, you know, that Gerard sort of made Kate the way that she was as well, but that could be in that time period as well. Yeah, and I really like this scene because Chris starts trusting Scott, and I just... I like how he basically does what Derek can't do, you know, for quite a long time, and that he just says, all right, you know, I realize that we haven't always gotten along, and we have, you know, some differences, but right now we have a common enemy. And I like how he says, too, you know, it's not Jackson I'm talking about, it's Gerard, and then he ends up helping him. And to me, this was just a really significant scene, and I hope that attitude from Chris carries over into the third season. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It would be nice to see them working together a little bit more rather than so at odds with each other. So another tough scene here, I think, for me at least, was when Styles is talking about how he doesn't think he's a hero. And one part of this is that he's avoiding Scott. You know, Lydia says you have like 17 messages from him and Styles is like, yeah, I know. So is this the intimidation that Gerard you know, sort of put into him that he doesn't want to go help because he's afraid or is he mad at Scott because he was wrapped up in all of this and, and he really shouldn't have been because he's still just a human? What do you guys think? I don't know. I mean, I, it makes me wonder if he is, you know, he thinks that he can't help, like if he thinks he has no place in it. I, I can't imagine that it's a like, no, I'm just, I give up on this. Uh, I feel like it's more like a, yeah, more like a, potentially like I can't help I'm no good I can't be a part of this or even just I'm tired of being a part of this as opposed to a I'm not going to help you on principle kind of thing I'm wondering right. if Gerard's whole point in taking him and then beating him essentially you have an, a much older man beating Styles up it kind of makes Styles feel helpless if an old man can beat him up what good is he to anybody else against supernatural beings so it's almost like it was intentional to shake his confidence and, yeah. and to get again to pull out a support beam from Scott so I'm wondering if that was more the purpose of it all than anything else. And that Styles was just feeling really crappy about the whole situation he was in because he couldn't help Boyd and Erica. You know, he got his butt beat and then was taken back home. And that was that. There was nothing he could do. Yeah, um, I, as I said, I, I didn't really ever understand the kidnapping, like the point of the kidnapping thing before, but I think it is possible. I, I think it is just a, a moment of just like, I literally am more of a hindrance than a help. So I should just get out of the way and not be a victim and not be bait and not be a decoy or anything like that, you know, not be uh, something that can be used against my friends, that he just is like, I just should get out of here. The thing in that scene that really, again, it seemed like an interesting bit of potential overarching theme or foreshadowing in the same way that what Chris Argent said about, uh, you know, not knowing what side you're on, is when his dad says, you know, starts telling him, oh, there was one thing that mattered, you know, the game you did so fantastically, you were a hero and all of that kind of thing. On one hand, you can see Styles kind of going, you have no idea how, like, unimportant that is compared to everything else now. Like, kind of, you know, that he knows that that's all his dad thinks it is, and so it's great. But for him, it's actually, even though 
a few months ago it would have been literally the best, most amazing highlight of his life. Now it's like things are robbing him of making those good things matter, if you know what I mean. And his dad says, you know, it was describing the situation, like how it was all hopeless, and he says it was pretty much over and you got the ball and, and then you scored and, and scored again and you're a hero. And I feel like that's a metaphor for Styles. Maybe even for the whole series, like for what's to come as well, that he is always going to be the one that, when all else is lost, he's going to be the one that kind of pulls through and he's going to be the one that actually saves the day, if you know what I mean. I completely agree with that. I definitely think that that's just a part of his personality and that when Scott's superpowers and when his strength fails, it's going to be Styles' intelligence that finally, you know, gets them to the point where they need to be in terms of, you know, whatever it is that they're going after. Yeah. So then jumping into the big scene at the end here, uh, this is where Gerard shows up and the Kanima wakes up and Derek, Scott, and Isaac start finding the Kanima and all that. The first thing that I really noticed here was that Peter's just sort of like chilling in the background watching the fight. He's totally not helping at all. And (laughs) I was wondering why he was doing that. Like, why wouldn't he help if he was invested in the outcome, which he obviously is? Well, I was confused pretty much the whole way through about whether he was... Until he kind of gave Derek the eyes at the end and they both ran out and did their thing. I was confused about whether Peter was known to be there, if you know what I mean. Because when Derek shows up, you know, Scott and Isaac are like, where's Lydia? Where's Peter? By the way, when Derek runs up on his all fours and I literally rolled my eyes a beat before like Peter came on the screen rolling his eyes I was just like oh, fuck. <laughs> I was like I hate this stupid running and I know. Peter rolls his eyes and I'd totally forgotten that Peter came on and did that and I was like yeah I feel you bro but I was really confused as to whether Scott and Isaac were meant to know Peter was there or even if Derek knew Peter was there and then at the end I was like oh no no Derek and Peter had this secret plan together and he probably he probably told Peter to stay out of the way though I don't know why it would have been a problem for Scott and Isaac to know that Peter was there except maybe that if they thought saw Peter was there they thought the same plan was still going ahead I don't really understand I was watching it going why are you just lurking in the background not helping I then got really confused as to who was actually meant to know he was there or why he was hidden yeah it was a bit confusing yeah and I just sort of wonder if part of it maybe was just a survival thing like Peter didn't want to risk his life for these people that he doesn't really care about. I mean, maybe he cares about Derek, but I don't really know. He is still sort of crazy. I also sort of wonder if that was their backup plan, if Peter was supposed to hang back, and if something happened to Derek, that Peter would come in and, you know, if they couldn't save Jackson or something, he'd be the one to finish it all. If everyone was sort of down, they'd at least have one more player in the game. Yeah, I get that. But yeah, I definitely think uh, after watching the entire episode that Derek knew he was there and it was part of the plan for him to hang back, though I'm sure Peter was 100% fine with that plan. So how much did you guys want to punch Allison in the face when she started fighting the wolves like Isaac and started cutting them up and stuff? Yes. Yep, definitely. Especially like Isaac. I I was appalled at how badly she was like, stabbing him and stuff and there was no stopping her and she was a weapon basically for gerard that's kind of what he wanted yeah from her and she gave it to him 
Yeah, and they say the same thing about, you know, they say the thing again about Gerard having made Kate like that and now he's making Alison like that. She was a psycho. It was not good. Like, it was totally, yeah, not good. And I was like, I can't believe that you're, yeah, that you're doing this. And it was, it was not very nice. When Gerard showed up, again, I was, was this in, I mean, I know obviously everyone had a master plan and, you know, Scott wasn't actually betraying people. It just looked like he was. But did Scott tell Gerard where they were, if you know what I mean? Did Gerard get the information? when? Because you, know, you know when Gerard says to Scott, oh, you didn't know you were bringing me Derek as well, but did Scott feed him the information of where they were going to meet Derek, if you know what I mean? I think, yes, that Scott did tell Gerard where they're going to be mm. for, the sh- for the mere fact that in order for Scott's plan to work, he needed Derek and Gerard in the same place. Yeah, yeah. He needed to follow through on that. So if, in order for that whole thing to work out and in order for Gerard to keep thinking that Scott was working with him, mm. he needed to feed him that information. Yeah, I'm just trying to work out how much, yeah, how much information was actually fed and uh, how much Scott knew was going to happen. Obviously he knew Gerard's plan. Yeah, I was just trying to work out at that moment how much information he'd fed. Yeah, that's pretty risky though. I mean, he's basically putting pretty much all of his friends in danger by going through with this. And I think that's sort of the stakes here. You know, you have to take a bit of risk because Gerard is quite a capable opponent, but at the same time, hard to be okay with the fact that Scott may have leaked that sort of information to Gerard. And I mean, what happens obviously at the end is I I don't particularly approve of, like, I think he should have brought, if he was appearing to double cross everyone, I think he should have brought some people in on it. Like, I don't think that, uh, like, we'll get to it in a moment, but I don't think that what he did was very fair. Even, Even though he wasn't actually being as bad as we all thought, you know, that he wasn't being as self-serving as we all thought. It's not, I don't think he did a a very good thing or a very good job. And then, so during the fight there as well, um, obviously this is where everything comes out. They, they kind of all come together and, you know, Derek comes alone and, you know, they realize that Scott and Isaac realize that he actually wants to kill Jackson now, not save him. So there's one trick, like everyone's got different double crossing kind of thing going on. But when Gerard shows up and and everything starts to come out, like the fight sort of happens and everything starts to come out about Gerard's actual plan, it's so bad. Like it's, and the way Chris, I can't even begin to express my disgust, like at how twisted it is. Not even, it's just, not even how self-serving it is, but the lack of morals or, like, the lack of, the total hypocrisy of it, if you know what I mean. Because what comes out, obviously, is that he had cancer and that he wants to be bitten to be cured and that he thought he'd been keeping that plan a secret, but that because Scott smelled the cancer, he started suspecting the plan himself. Like, he started suspecting what he wanted was to be turned by Derek and that he is actually willing to become a werewolf to survive. Like, and he says, and he tries to, you know, not only apparently going against his, you know, anti-werewolf morals to become one, but also he forces Scott into making Derek bite him by threatening Alison. And Chris says, you know, I can't believe you'd do this, you know, even her. And he said, he kind of looks straight at Chris and says, when it comes to survival, I'd kill my own son, which is 
very dramatic, but like imagine your father like looking at you and saying that. Yeah, this whole scene right here, like when we finally figure out what Gerard is doing, it's just like you said, it's so disgusting. I just, uh, I hate him and I don't think that, well, I know, like he's never going to be redeemable. Like he just, unlike Peter, who we all sort of kind of like and we like to dislike, Gerard's never going to be there. You know, he's always going to be this really, really horrible mm. villain. And the thing that really jumps out to me the most and we've talked about this a little bit before, Natalie, was, like you were saying, his hypocrisy, because he basically said to Chris that Victoria had to be put down because she she wasn't, you know, his wife anymore. She was a monster, and she had to be killed. And yet his whole plan all along, even at that point, was to get the bite for himself. And how... I mean, he basically sentenced Victoria to death for the same thing that he wanted for himself. It's twisted. It's so messed up. Like, it's... That he... I, I mean, it just makes you wonder, did he ever have any morals, or did he just like killing werewolves? Did he ever actually believe that being a werewolf was wrong, if you know what I mean? Like, where, you know, who the hell is he? Like, what does he actually believe in? How long has he had this plan? Did he drastically change his mind? You know, oh, no, no, I'd rather survive than die, so I'll be a werewolf, even though I hate them. Like, did he ever actually have the strong morals uh, about werewolves, or was it always something just vicious and nasty? Like, what even is this? It's so sick. It's one of the most twisted things I've ever seen a villain do on a TV show or anything like that. And it's so... It's just so wrong. It's just so... Like, when I finally worked out, like, the end game here, I was just like, this is the wrongest thing I've ever seen. It's so bad. And he's just so horrible to everyone, like, to his son, to Derek. I mean, he doesn't like Derek anyway, but, like, when that all happens, when he is threatening Alison and Derek, you know, and Scott forces Derek to give him the bite, the stuff that he says to Derek before, you know, making him bite, like, the stuff that Gerard says to Derek about, you know, Gerard, about Derek being the only piece that doesn't fit and, you know, he's just worthless and all of that. And I'm like, well, it's really sad for Derek. Like, it's, it's almost true. Like, it's sad because of the, the truth or the truth that Derek might feel that he is this really strange kind of, in this strange position that doesn't really have anything or anyone or fit in any way. It's just not good is it? None of it is good. No, not at all. And it really makes me wonder why Gerard is so adamant about surviving this cancer. And I know that's kind of a stupid thing to say because it's human nature to want to continue living, but what's the point in living if you don't have anybody? I mean, he doesn't have his daughter because she's dead. He's not going to have his son because he'd be willing to kill him. And I mean, that relationship was rocky to begin with. And now it's just totally shot and his granddaughter is going to be gone. And so, you know, what is he just going to do? Live by himself being like this weird solo werewolf hunter for the rest of his life or something? Well, I guess he wouldn't because he'd be a well, werewolf. But the point was that he would kill Derek and be the alpha. And he would still have control of the Kanima. So he would have had whoever and whatever he wanted because he had power. It wasn't so much about living, I don't think, at that point for him, as it was about the power. 
But still, I mean, what would he do with that power? Because he he very clearly hates werewolves. I mean, obviously, he's willing to blur the line there because he wants to survive. But I just I don't see what kind of life he would have if he would have done that. No, neither do I. But I think it, I, that's why I'm like, who is he? What does he even care about? Because, you know, I'm questioning whether he even does Hey, I just don't think he has any feelings. I don't think he hates werewolves. I think he's just a robot. Like, I think he's just a robot that's annoyed that his body isn't actually robotic and that he wants to just survive and kill things or something like that as much as he can and that he doesn't care about anything in his family, that it's all just a pretense, like, you know, that to get by and... Now it's at the point where that's not going to work for him and that he just literally wants to survive and be alive and keep, I guess, just keep doing what he's doing. I I don't know. Like, it's really, you know, and, and just what he says to Chris, it's like the opposite of like a parental motivation, like... It's it's the total opposite of, like, what an actual parent would say. And, and so I just don't think he cares about, you know, having his son or his granddaughter or anything like that because I don't think he cared about them before either. Like, I think it was all a, a pretense then. And so it's not like anything there would change. He wouldn't start. He didn't have an emotional attachment anyway. And it makes me wonder if he was really there to avenge Kate because he cared about her or just on principle, if you know what I mean. Yeah, that's true. So, speaking of Scott and all of that, he had his own master plan, and that was basically to fill Gerard's pills with mountain ash. And when Gerard is bitten, he sort of spews up the venom and kind of, you know, get a little bit crazy there for a minute with this, like, giant, like, venom fountain that comes out of him. I I wasn't too crazy about that. But my question was... Do you guys think that it was really believable that Scott came up with this very clever plan? Or do you think that Deaton had a big part of it? I think Deaton probably, like, I think that Scott might have gone to him and said, yeah, oh, I smelled that he has cancer and he's dying and I've now got suspicions about what he's going on. And Deaton would be like, well, here's what we can do. But I have so many questions about this. Like, how did... Like, when exactly did he switch the pills? He handed them back to him. But was he, like, just waiting for a moment for Gerard to switch his pills? Like, what if he'd never dropped them, you know? Like, I don't I don't understand that. And, like, how many pills did they... How long was he changing out the pills? How did he get away with that? What if he'd never dropped the pill box and had a chance to exchange it? Or what if, you know, all of those things. Like, how did they actually get that plan to fall into place? I think Deaton had a lot behind... was a behind it quite a bit because clearly he is something else as well and he has motives that we are not fully aware of just yet and then I forget the school psychologist's name but she's clearly in on it as well and whatever Deaton is so is she and they have a plan and a purpose as well so I think that Scott helped assist them in something that they were trying to accomplish with Gerard and that's why they gave he helped him with the pills and gave him the information. I don't think it was Scott's complete idea. And so we all know that Scott really isn't the brains behind the operation. And that's usually Styles. So I think a lot of this had to come from somewhere else. And especially the like adding the ash, the mountain ash to the pills and then switching out the pills. I think that was all Deaton's idea. 
Yeah. Do you think Gerard only needed one dose of the mountain ash for this to end up working? Like, if he had any in his system? Because I I can't imagine that they had the opportunity to switch out his whole supply of pills. Well, when you when they should have flashback when Scott's talking about it, they're making a whole tray of pills. Yeah, I know. So how where how did this happen? So, I don't know. I don't know if, if he broke into Allison's house and switched them out. I have no idea. But it leads you to believe that it was a lot of doses that they switched. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. I think if anything, he broke into the house and switched it out. And I think Gerard dropping that pillbox was more for our benefit than anything to actually do with the storyline because it really sort of, that was just another instance that we saw the pillbox and we knew that it was important, but we didn't know why until this final minute here in this episode. But I think it was something that probably they had to do over time to build up the amount of mountain ash that ended up being in Gerard's body. So my other thing here is what do you think Scott would have done if he hadn't had that trick up his sleeve? Like if Gerard had really threatened him and he'd really been going along with Gerard and he'd really been doing it for the sake of getting Allison back. Like, do you think he would have done that? Or how do you think that he would have handled it? I don't because that's not like Scott. I mean, he's always got his heart in the right place, and yes, he cares about Allison. Well, I guess if it if it didn't end up killing Derek, I think that maybe he would have, and then would have just had to deal with the consequences afterwards. I think he would have tried his hardest to make sure that everybody survived, and that, if possible, Gerard didn't get what he wants, because Scott always has his heart in the right place. Yeah. Because, like, in that circumstance, it was, like, even without that trick up his sleeve, it was literally, like, it wasn't just, oh, I get to date Alison. It was, like, you know, Gerard was going to have Alison killed if Scott didn't force Derek. And I can't imagine him letting Alison get killed. So I think he would have let Gerard become a werewolf and then, yeah, had to deal with that afterwards, I guess. We may see the Kanama again because Gerard is now, well, who knows what Gerard is, but he's he's been bitten by a werewolf and he's got something very wrong with him and i mean if you know if jackson had enough inner turmoil to start becoming a canima then gerard's like the worst human being on the planet so he's you know we've we've talked before about apparently you have to have this pure soul to become a werewolf otherwise you turn into a canima uh so i wonder if gerard will become like alpha canima with the wings and all of that stuff that's definitely a possibility i think yeah, it would not be very nice. The other big thing with the bite was, and this is what I was talking about before, is that sort of Scott pulls Derek over, forces him to give Gerard the bite, and then, you know, everyone realises that they've done a the old switcheroo and, and, you know, that we see that, you know, the flashback and we see Gerard screaming, Mountain Ash, as he bleeds out, you know, his black venom. That's all very well and good. And then Derek kind of looks at Scott and was like, why didn't you tell me? And Scott just goes, because you might be an alpha, but you're not mine. And I'm like, was that really necessary? Like, I don't care about your pack dynamics. On a human to human level, you should have told him. It's not about whether he's your alpha or not. It's about you being two people and this involving him. And he wouldn't necessarily have ruined it. Like, and you are putting him at risk. Uh, it's not about, the, this. the last thing this is about is whether he's your alpha. 
Like, it is horrible that Scott didn't tell Derek. And I still don't understand where his animosity to Derek comes from. The whole, that spite, the way that he, the way that he said that to Derek. I don't understand why he has that still. I agree that was really unnecessary and that it doesn't really have anything to do with the pack dynamics. But at the same time, I can understand why Scott was playing it pretty close to the chest because having anybody else involved could have meant that the plan was just going to get even crazier than it already was. And I think that maybe he was just worried about Derek stopping him or maybe even talking him out of it. And that's why he didn't tell him about the plan. Yeah, that's possible as well. Like, I I totally understand, like, having, like, a secret, if you're doing, like, a triple cross, basically. Because he is, he's... You know, he's double-crossing Derek with Gerard, and then he's double-crossing Gerard to, well, kind of save Derek, but to basically help everyone except Gerard. So he's doing a triple cross, which is all well and good, and yeah, you don't want to get too many people involved in that. But the reasoning he gave, like the the spiteful bidding that down to collapse Derek on the floor, I'm like, how many times are you going to kick this guy, like in the, you know, in the guts? Like how many times for no reason, you know? it's That is not the excuse he should have given. If he even if he didn't tell Derek, it was so mean. So then, right after this, uh, Styles and Lydia show up and they hit the Canemo with the jeep, which is kind of funny because Styles is like freaking out, but then Lydia is totally calm. And Lydia shows the key to Jackson, and he starts to turn back. And then there's a series of glances that are sort of passed around between a few different characters that really sort of made me wonder what was going on because Peter looks excited about killing Jackson like sort of like his plan is going the way that he wants it to Mm. and then you know him and Derek sort of share a look and then Jackson this is the one that I didn't pick up before I rewatched it this last time but Jackson looks very accepting of his fate almost like he wants them to kill him did you guys pick up on that at all Yeah, I kind of got that vibe from him as well. He didn't fight at all, and he could have. Yeah, he just wanted to sort of go out, like, knowing that Lydia still cared about him. And, I mean, once he turned back to human or, you know, whatever, he he obviously now knows everything that had been going on, like, knows what he's done as the Canemer, and he may not really want to live with that because he's not actually evil. Right, yeah, I agree. And then, so of course, you know, Gerard's gone now, so that's a big mystery. And uh, Jackson turns into a werewolf with blue eyes, which we'll also get to learn more about next season. But what did you guys think about the fact that they chose between those two endings that they shot and they decided not to kill Jackson, but to turn him into a werewolf? I think it's kind of ironic that they shot one where he died and one where he didn't. And they chose to go with the one where he didn't die. And yet he decided to later on not return for season three. So I thought, I think that's kind of ironic to begin with, that the option was there and they went the other way with it and he chose to leave anyway. But yeah, I don't know. And I think I think we're going to miss a lot of the storyline that they had planned with Colton Hayes leaving. So I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how they kind of make up for that. Because I haven't read anything I am, I try to, like, stay spoiler-free, so I haven't read any of the information coming out about Season 3. That's just my perspective for someone who doesn't know anything about Season 3 at all. Yeah, I feel really bummed that uh, they... Not that they chose this ending, um, but 
I feel really bummed that this was clearly going to be a major plot and is clearly now not going to be a major plot, if you know what I mean. I'm really upset that yeah. about that. I would have been happier had they just killed him off. If knowing, you know if, what I mean? If, if I they knew he wasn't going, going in, back. it would yeah, have been yeah. more resolute. Right. It would have been a more resolved ending for everyone, for us as viewers, for the characters. And it, th- this season three could have been plotted in a different manner than with the expectation that he would return, only to have him not return. I wonder if they were like, so are you definitely coming back? Because we've got this ending where we could make you not come back. And he was he was clearly like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll be coming back. You know, I want to stay on the show. Like, I- I'll be coming back. Don't don't kill me. And then they didn't kill him, and now he's gone. So that's frustrating. Yes, yes, it is. Because honestly, his role on Arrow is not very big yet. <laughs> I don't know if it's supposed to get bigger. But I watch Arrow, and he's been on maybe two episodes, well, and his roles have not been big. The one good thing about him joining Arrow is the insanity that has been happening on Twitter between him and John Barrowman. It is literally <laughs> making my life a better place. It is crazy. I don't know what... I've never even seen Arrow, but obviously I, I know Colton from Teen Wolf, and I know Barrowman from Doctor Who and, and Torchwood, and... They have just been insane, and Barrowman's husband's been getting involved with it, and it is all just very... They, like, uh, psyched out the paparazzi by, like, pretending to, like, hold hands and stuff, like, coming out of an airport and, like, all of this stuff. Like, they've been they've been trolling on Twitter, and it's... That's nice, but I'd rather you come back to Teen Wolf, and Barrowman would rather you go back to the 50th anniversary Doctor Who, which you seem to have ruined for yourself. But anyway, you know, we'll see. <laughs> So then here we sort of get a series of epilogue scenes, and these are just little snippets of what everybody is up to in the aftermath of what just happened. And the first one is that Allison breaks up with Scott, and he says that he can wait for her because he knows that they'll be together, and Allison's just sort of, you know, disbelieving of him. And I know that this is probably, like, the super cheesiest exchange ever, but I loved this scene so much because she says there's no such thing as fate, and Scott says there's no such thing as werewolves. And it was just so perfect to me, and it made them breaking up okay because I feel like the end game there is that they will be together when they're both ready for it. No, I liked the line as well. Like, it was cheesy, but I almost put it as one of my quotes, but I thought it would be more of a discussion point. Because, yeah, it is such a good, like, it is quite, it's quite clever. It's cheesy, but it's quite clever, you know. It's actually pretty cool. And, you know, it's a good comeback, I guess, like, for someone to say there's no such thing as, you know, you're going to have that up your sleeve forever, Scott, as the best comeback ever for any, like, any time anyone's like, oh, there's no such thing as whatever. You know, it's great. But um, it was also very sweet, and I mean, I was a bit like, oh, you're breaking up with him. Like, were you actually still together, like, during that whole time? Were you, like, officially okay. still together? I were thought you, the same exact thing. You know, were you not already broken up? Like, really? like, this, you know, the point where you're trying to shoot him with arrows kind of led me to believe that you were broken up. Yeah, just funnily enough. There. Funnily enough, I did get that idea as well. I don't know where that idea came from, but, you know, just a bit of a notion. Uh, but I guess to just officially, I guess they sort of came back together. Like at, they sort of at the end when everything was going down, they sort of found each found themselves holding hands without realizing it or whatever, which is all very cute and meant to be or whatever. And then I guess they're just sitting down to be like, well, I know this has all happened, but now I can't actually. You know, you might have thought that we were to, back together, but actually we're not. I don't know. 
I just wouldn't have called it breaking up. It was just seemed a little odd to me. But, yeah, I do really like them together. And, like, again, that whole scene with her being like, I'm trying to break up with you. And he was like, I know. They seem very in tune with each other still in a in a nice way. And for, you know, for a meant-to-be couple, they're, they're such a nice meant-to-be couple compared to a lot of ones on TV. Like, a lot of ones that are a bit people find a bit questionable them as an actual oh end game fated true love i which is always a bit tacky i like people coming together who you wouldn't really expect i don't usually like relationships like this but them i do actually really like so yeah so then the next big part of this scene here was between deaton and morale and they're trying to find gerard and the exchange here is that morale says you're not planning on getting your are you? And Deaton says, I do what I have to. And she counters with, good, I never liked you being retired anyway. And Morale was like, who said I was retired? And I just need to know what this means, guys. I I don't know what this is about, and I really just want to know who Deaton is. And her. like, wh- Or what I, they I, are. They're, they're, they're the black leather brigade yeah. apparently at the moment. That's what they are. They're like... <laughs> But just the fact that, yeah, she said, reti- you know, I do I do what I have to. What do you have to do? You know, retire- retired from what? Like, I'm, I'm thinking less that it was like a hunter and more that it's like a third party. Like, a, you know, maybe they're from like the great supernatural council of, you know, like the people that oversee all of the things. Maybe they're like from the UN of werewolves or something, you know, like, and... Uh, <laughs> You know, but he was acting almost like a private investigator and that she was like, oh, I I don't like seeing you retired, like, from private, you know, maybe he's a mediator, like, mediator seems quite likely, but I don't know if he's tracking down Gerard, like, what he plans to, you know, maybe he runs a special, you know, supernatural zoo and he's tracking down Gerard to put him in his collection, maybe he's really sinister, um, (laughs) I don't know, I'm just making things up, really, yeah, I, I, I feel like this is something we can't just let go of. So then the last scene we get here is Peter and Derek explaining the symbol on Derek's door. And we see that, you know, a little bit earlier than this, Boyd and Erica are running through the woods and these other werewolves show up. And Peter and Derek explain that this has to do with that symbol on Derek's door and that they're the alpha pack that's in town. And they're literally a pack of alphas. And he says that everyone sort of takes notice when there's a new alpha and that's why Derek was so keen on building his pack pack and this obviously sets us up for season three and two are going to be the sort of big bad for season three so i don't know about you guys but i'm really really excited to see the alpha pack in action yeah and i mean if they're there now like if they've come and marked derek's door it makes me wonder what on earth is going to happen in that months. I, I, I don't know what's going to happen in that time gap. Like, if the, if the Alpha Pack are there now, in are we going to come back into Season 3 in, like, the middle of their battle, if you know what I mean? Like, what are they going to be doing? You know, are they already going to all be sort of instated in their positions and, and all of that kind of thing? Like, how is that happening? Uh, why are they even bad? Like, what is particularly wrong? Like, do they have really bad motives? Like, why is it a problem? How long did Derek know this was going to be happening? Like, that he was, again, not telling his betas about? Like, did he know since he became an alpha? Like, what's the deal there? I kind of get the vibe the alpha pack was a known entity. Mm. 
and like they all kind of know that it's there. They just don't want to talk about it. It's like you know it exists. You, you don't. You hope you never have to deal with it. But when it comes knocking on your door, you don't really have a choice. So you try to be prepared, and Derek clearly failed at even coming close to being prepared. So now he's just stuck dealing with it. So it will be interesting to see, knowing that they are there and that four month time gap, what happens in that four month time gap because that's a long time. Yeah. To have them be like a benign entity strolling around in the woods. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it, yeah. Really I can't imagine weird. that they're just going to be like, oh, we're here. Now we're just going to go like camping for four months and then we'll come back and beat you up. Like after that time, watch out, you know? Yeah, no, I agree. I think that's a really odd thing. It'll be interesting to see where we pick up and how we pick up. Yeah. And if some, some things will be told maybe in flashback to get us caught up. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like we may enter the first episode with Derek, you know, kept prisoner by the rest of the alphas or whatever mm. and then have to flash back as to everything happened or something yeah totally it makes me wonder too if the alpha pack is like a thing like this one alpha pack that exists or if this is something that generally happens sometimes between different alphas like if they decide to meet up and, and form this group because i wasn't sure if this was like oh, you know, this is the alpha pack and this is their symbol or this is a alpha pack that we have to look out for and this is a symbol that these people use when they form a group like this. Mm, Yeah, I genuinely don't know. I'm sure we'll find out, but, you know, I wonder how much they knew at the start of, at the end of season two, like Jeff and the writers, like how, how much canon they'd already made up about the alpha pack when they actually shot this, you know? Yeah. So then on to our news section here, we've got a couple of points. And the first one is that we now know that episode 309 is going to be called The Girl Who Knew Too Much. And Natalie and I sort of had a little discussion about this when we first heard about it, because it's a very long title, isn't it, compared to a lot of their single word titles. And yeah. I, I don't know about you, but it, it gave me a very, like, Doctor Who sort of vibe to it, like the girl who waited, yeah, that yeah. sort of thing. And obviously it's, it's not related at all, but um, that's just the first thing that popped into my head when I heard it. Yeah, no, I, I, it is very much not like a Teen Wolf title to me. I don't really know what it could mean, who it could refer to, or why it's so different, but I feel like it's going to be something pretty strongly themed and I can't imagine you you know how the titles usually have more than one meaning like fury or you know like it's a complex meaning to the single word or that there's more than one aspect like master plan it's not just Gerard's master plan it's Peter's master plan and Scott's master plan as well girl who knew too much seems like it could only really specifically be about one thing so that automatically makes me wonder if it's not if it's about several people if you know what I mean that's the only thing I can think of in the way that they usually do titles that that this could actually be a reference to several plot lines that happens in the episode yeah that's true yeah, and there are plenty I can of girls see to that, that off of so yeah this season this is going to have a lot of girls so yeah it could definitely be you know more than one person's story the title makes me think of Lydia for some reason as soon as I read it mm. that's what it made me think about I think a, she was the first one that came to mind. I think a lot of people think that at the moment. I'm not sure what the general consensus is, but there is going to be so many women introduced in this season, like so many, that I am now really curious about this. Yeah. 
I definitely thought it had something to do with Lydia, too. And I also wonder if they're going to parallel it with maybe some flashback-type stuff, because this is the episode after the flashback episode, which will be 308, and we might be getting some of that Laura. traveling over into this episode. Yeah. That's exactly what I was yeah, thinking. I feel like that it's, maybe no, it I feel like it's Laura. Laura. Yeah. Oh, Laura, you're my favorite dead person. <laughs> I was going to say, Laura, you're my favorite character, and I'm like, she's not actually a character as of yet, so, yeah. I love the idea of Laura, though, like, so, yeah, we'll see. We have also gotten WonderCon, and this happened about a week ago, I think, from when we're recording this, although by the time you guys are listening to it, it might be a little bit more in between, but we got some really interesting stuff out of the WonderCon panel, and definitely go to Hypable.com and check that out, so you can watch the videos and look at all of the information. But some of the things that really stuck out to me was when Jeff said which characters are going to be pivotal in this season, he specifically stated that the twins were going to be pivotal by the end of the season. And Kali will be really important, and actually Scott's father, too, at some point. I want my twins to be good boys. Me too. That's very childishly put, but I really want them to be like the, you know, turn from one side to the other kind of thing. Like, because I, just because I don't want them to hurt other people, like if they're romantically involved. So, yeah, I want those twins to be like the coming over to Derek or to Scott. I want one of them to have an epic bromance with Derek. He needs a friend. Like... I'm just making things up now, so, yeah, but I want I want to know, yeah, all about that, so, yeah. <laughs> Cully, I don't know really anything about her story. I mean, we don't really know anything about her story except for that she's in the Alpha Pack. It's interesting that she, he mentions the twins and Cully and not Ducalion, like, who's the leader, the Alfalfa. Yeah, I'm waiting to see how distinct these people's personalities are and what their stories are but it's you know kind of cool that they've all got something important rather than just being like a nameless mass of power or whatever yeah and kali is definitely my most highly anticipated character for season three i am so excited to see her in action and we got a little bit of that during the panel where they showed footage of her fighting and it was just amazing i am so excited to see more of her and then what about scott's dad were you expecting him to come in at any point no i mean not this soon i guess i thought it was interesting that they were sort of going back and forth about whether to include him at all and then all of a sudden he's going to be like this character that has this huge impact on the story so i it makes me excited for what they have planned for him yeah i feel like it can't be anything very good Yeah, me too. And then the other little thing about the WonderCon panel that I sort of picked up on was that season three is actually going to be split up into two parts. And the second half hasn't even been plotted out yet. And this sort of 
reminds me of how they kind of treat Doctor Who sometimes, especially with this past season, because you had the first half with Amy and Rory and then the second half with Clara. But, you know, just the fact that it, it almost feels like to me season three is going to be like two different seasons and that we'll get the Alpha Pack story for the first half and then the second half will be something else. And I don't know if that's cool because it's more story, like more variation, or if I'm kind of disappointed that maybe the Alpha Pack won't be along for all 24 episodes. Yeah, I don't know about that either. Like if he means, you know, the first half won't actually have a, you know, a clear cut ending and that he knows it's still going to be the Alpha Pack or if it's going to be like a, this story's done, we've won the day or we've lost and we're all, you know, prisoners and... Presumably if they're lost and they're all prisoners, they um that's gonna be the second half of the season being like, Oh, how do we get out of this mess? But it doesn't sound like that seeing as he hasn't plotted it. So I assume that either he knows it's gonna be an ongoing conflict and he hasn't wrapped everything up but doesn't know exactly what's gonna happen, or that it is actually a totally different story but I can't imagine that either really like I can't imagine them bringing in this many characters and then you know only using them for 12 episodes and then having to bring in a whole bunch of other things I'm wondering if because yeah, the first definitely. two seasons were only the the 12 episodes that that's just how he's used to plotting arc so that he has like one arc for the first 12 episodes and then a second arc for the next 12 episodes and they may be connected in lots of different ways but you get one big resolved plot arc for the first half and then maybe a different plot arc for the second half that will resolve by the end of that season or what have you. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So that it's broken up that way because he has been plotting for 12 and that's just kind of like as a writer sometimes you get into patterns and you just kind of have to do what you know to keep it going appropriately so I'm wondering if that's really what it's about so that we'll have the arc of the alphas the first half and then the second half maybe they're integrated in more for whatever reason however they're going to be integrated in yeah. and they'll have a different common enemy to fight for the second half yeah and maybe uh maybe he plotted that first arc before he knew he was getting 24 episodes maybe he was like oh yeah maybe there was a lot of buzz about season three being renewed but he assumed it'd be a 12 episode show again and then they were like actually 24 and he was like oh okay i can do that yeah. rights 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 you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah so, that makes a lot of sense. So too. it could have been like that, like, you know, that he didn't have the confirmation of the season length when he actually plotted it. Yeah, I like your idea too, Jen, about how it's not necessarily, like, it'll be two different arcs maybe, but it's not necessarily different characters or like a totally different storyline. It's mm -hmm. just kind of broken up that way. So I think that'd be a good way to resolve that. Yeah. And then next up we have the cast photos. We got some of the the characters revealed for their their season three versions not that they're you know hugely different or anything like that but we got a handful of those and natalie which ones were your favorite let me open them up again hang on i liked styles i mean everyone likes to see styles's uh new hair uh, <laughs> Derek, i think looked a bit odd like a bit thin and and weird like i don't know like he he looked a bit strange in a way that I can't quite place. Everyone looks quite a bit older. I like Scott, like uh, the change in Scott. And it, I mean, it's just, it's just a bit unusual, like, you know, that he's changed this much in... If you sort of put photos together of him from season one, season two, season three, they all look really different. And 
it's not actually like three years apart. It's it's actually more like um, well, if this is four months on, it's probably about the plot of Teen Wolf so far has probably taken about seven or eight months, if you know what I mean. It hasn't act- because the first two seasons are, are pretty tightly packed into like a about a three or you know they if you follow the full moons, it's about a three or a four month period. So it's a bit odd that he looks so different in in a sort of a four month four months on or in an eight month period yeah Derek's looks kind of really yeah like really thin and concerned and he's wearing a colored shirt which is nice for Derek's I think it's just the angle at which he's shot maybe because he's shot kind of like at an odd angle so it cuts across him funny and makes him look smaller yeah whereas everyone else is more head-on yeah he's angled yeah he just I, I remember seeing the Derek one and I was like this looks really odd the one of Lydia is nice uh just objectively as a photo like it looks like she looks like she's in like a speakeasy in the 20s or something she looks really cool and like you know her hair and stuff is all all nice and she always looks quite old-fashioned and I like that the twins I, I don't know if they've left one with their jacket on so we can tell them apart, but I don't know which is which, so I'm going to have to learn how to tell them apart. I think Lydia was my favorite for this one just because, I, I don't know, she looks different. There's an expression on her face that she looks a little bit older, like a little bit more weary, I guess is the right word, yeah. where she sort of knows all this stuff that's going on now, and she looks a little bit frightened, you know? Yeah. I think objectively as a photo, I like the one of Lydia the best as well. And and yeah, it does definitely look like she's in the middle of a scene, like hearing something, you know, that she's being told something that she doesn't really like the sound of. Yeah. Well, it looks like she and Allison might be in the same place from the photos because the windows are the same in the background. But like Allison is like her photo is so, so strange. Her photo she looks, looks almost like, like an old spinster. Yeah, it's... Yeah, kind of has that spinster vibe with the tight bun and then the black lace shirt with the collar. I feel like all she's missing is a cameo brooch or something. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, Derek, you're so broody. (laughs) So then the last piece of news here is that we actually learned that the tattoo that Scott is going to be getting in the first episode is going to remain a mystery for the good part of season three. And Tyler Posey, who plays Scott, still didn't know anything about it up until episode 309 which they were shooting when he did this interview and I didn't I don't know about you Natalie but I did not expect the tattoo to be so significant I guess and that it kind of confuses me as to why Scott wouldn't know more about why he has this tattoo on his arm I mean if the first if if the first episode of the season is called tattoo and it addresses the fact that he has this tattoo maybe it's not like maybe it's not he went out and got it done maybe it mysteriously appeared on him and he still doesn't know why or something like that because how could he not know what it is if he go if he went out and got it if you know what I mean like it just confuses me I didn't expect that either I like the idea that maybe it just mysteriously appeared there that could be cool because I was thinking well Maybe the Alpha Pack like held him down and tattooed him or something uh. like that. I couldn't figure out what what could have been going on there, but I like the idea of it just sort of appearing. Yeah, maybe he just wakes up with this mark on him, and it's not like a birthmark; it's like a tattoo like thing. And he's like, "I just have to live with this now." Okay, <laughs> maybe he gets in trouble. You're not going to have... tell my mom. Yeah, you, you're not meant to have tattoos at school. You know, like 
and all of that kind of stuff, and he just has to kind of live with it, and, you know, he's confused by it, and, you know, but surely if it was from the Alpha Pack, they'd find that out pretty soon as well. Oh, it's very confusing. I'm not sure. Getting into our feedback section now, we have just one of them, and this is from Tumblr from Sammy Chaos, and they say, I had an idea of why Derek could still have been on the swim team six years ago, but not have been in the picture. I'm sure that since they were a werewolf family, they had realized, like the audience sees eventually, that werewolf eyes ruin pictures. Maybe Derek or his parents decided not to have Derek be in the swim team picture because they knew his eyes would ruin it. Also, I had a theory about why Derek wouldn't be on the cameras or Matt's kill list. Derek, assuming that he was on the swim team six years ago, wasn't at the party. My friends say that his parents maybe wouldn't have wanted him to go, or maybe Derek himself didn't want to go. But I think, considering the timing is right, Derek was out with Kate. I mean, teenage hormonal Derek would probably rather be out with his cool older girlfriend than at some swim team party. And this is really good. This is sort of goes back to one of our previous episodes where we were wondering if Derek could have been on that swim team that Matt was going after. And I think this is a really cool little theory that sort of explains that it is possible. It's it's definitely possible. I mean, it's a bit of a mixing of ideas of what's canon because I checked. If we take the book, the actual On Fire book, which addresses that's the one that addresses Derek swimming and, and meeting Kate via the pool. In that, he's definitely not on any competitive sports teams. Like, his parents don't let him. I think it's, like, too much of an advantage or something like that. And he's definitely just swims for himself. And they, I think the guy is always like, oh, we have to try and get you on the swim team. But he always refuses. He just does it for himself. And he's not on the swim team. And he meets Kate that way. But then the spoilers about him for the flashback say that he's a star athlete. So we don't know what sports he did, but if he was on the swim team, like the idea of Derek swimming is taken from the book in which he's not on the team. But if he's a star athlete, he could have been on the swim team as well. We don't know what sport he played, like if he played lacrosse or basketball or swimming. But yeah, I think if he was on the swim team, that it's pretty plausible that he wouldn't participate in anything extracurricular like the parties or, you know, that kind of thing. And definitely the parents would know to sort of, oh, our kids were absent on school photo day. Oops, kind of thing. Like they, they know that they wouldn't have been there for the school, for the photos because it's impossible. Though we did see that one photo of Derek's mother and, and him in the uh, the webisodes in which they don't have lens flare in the eyes that's true were they facing the camera or were they i don't remember what you exactly could see the their eyes. Like. it was black and white film maybe there's a trick to it i don't know but maybe it's just a discrepancy but that photo of derek was definitely yeah you could just see him and it wasn't a lens flare Maybe there's a trick to controlling it, though. Okay, so with that bit of feedback, I think that that's everything we have for the finale of Season 2. So this has been a fun adventure, and hopefully you've stuck it out with us and are now ready for Season 3, so that should be fun. Let us know if you like the structure of this, or if you like the past episode, like focusing on the, the individual plot lines of people, or whether you'd rather just hear our random theories uh, like the prior episodes have been and what kind of episode structure would be best for actually recapping new episodes of season three because 
yeah, we want it to be interesting to you. So hit us up as usual on our Twitter, which is NATW Podcast, our Tumblr, which is not another teen wolf podcast.tumblr, or email us natwpodcast at gmail.com. Please let us know which structure that you'd like the best and also just any thoughts that you had about this episode or any feedback for Teen Wolf in general. Between now and and the start of Season 3, we're hoping to get a few episodes out, you know, a big news roundup of Season 3, an episode about theories and maybe a bite-sized about shipping or about uh, mythology, you know, anything like that. We'll, We'll think about what we could be doing. So we'll say thank you to our guest, to Jen. So did you, hopefully you liked coming to talk about Teen Wolf, Jen. I did. I love Teen Wolf. Like I was totally converted. At first I was like, what am I going to, like I'm watching this, I don't know. (laughs) And then like I said, I like literally watched all of it in a weekend and didn't stop because it was so good. I think it's really, I don't know, it's, it's amazing how well written it is. I think that's what surprised me more than anything. It's not really cheesy. Yeah. It's really smart and funny. And so I definitely, I'm addicted and I can't wait to start season three. And I'm so happy it's 24 episodes. Yeah, us too, I think. Yeah, we're, uh, Natalie and I are slowly converting the Hypeable staff members into Team Wolf fans one person at a time. So I'm glad that we got you on our side now. (laughs) Absolutely. Because it does sound like such a ridiculous show, especially like with the negative energy around Twilight, like, you know, that people have. Um, about the whole, oh, werewolves, vampires, like, oh, romantic, you know, supernatural, oh, you know, paranormal romance or whatever they call it. And people seem to be a bit anti that, you know, so that that attitude might bleed over to people who, you know, like good television, not wanting to watch Teen Wolf. And I'm like, no, it's really good. It's really good, okay. You have to watch it. So, yeah, quite a few people are watching it now, which is nice. Yeah, I think for me it was sometimes the stuff on MTV that's scripted isn't always great. It's not my yeah. kind of TV. Like, it's not typically what I would watch. Mm. So that's why I was really hesitant. It, sometimes it comes off really immature or really silly, or and it's just not something I'm into. So that's why I was super hesitant about this. But then when I started watching it, I'm like, no, this is, like, really smart. And it's really funny, and it doesn't hold back on what it wants to do, which I think is great. I'm all for TV that is willing to take chances and really just put it out there. So that's why I like it. Yeah, I think, yeah, that it doesn't hold back is a big thing for me as well. Like, in a lot of aspects. Like, a lot of different aspects of the show, they really just go there when other shows don't go there and and it's just very different to I think a lot of a lot of TV at the moment. So yeah, I guess we'll say bye then to we'll say bye to Jen and bye to Karen and bye to me. So everyone say bye. <laughs> bye. 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 Yeah, sorry. I was literally just getting up to get my microphone, and uh, as I crossed the room, I guess the thunderous shaking of my footsteps shifted <laughs> a mirror on my dresser, and it like slipped straight. And oh I tried my. to catch it, like, and I sort of I touched the edges of it and fumbled it, and it yeah, it died.